Hi, it's Tina Spangler with TLC Burrows and welcome to my podcast. This is April 12th, 2022 and this is Q&A number 87. This is made for my Facebook virtual coaching group and I want to welcome our new member Rhonda from Texas. So big welcome to the group. Uh, This week I put a couple challenges in the group um, to learn from your last competition, your last time you entered and set a game plan for this week on how you're going to improve. So that's kind of a uh, a skill set and a mindset. So uh, go ahead and um, think about that and journal about it, you know, what you have changed, you know, what worked, what didn't work, and then set up a game plan. And it could be anything from your mental game to your horse's warm-up, preparation, maybe you changed something in your diet, maybe you didn't ride as much, maybe you didn't practice with purpose, uh, anything like that. So everyone's going to be a little bit different because we have riders that are just starting to competitive 1D level. So um, also, I'm working on the April personal best list, so go ahead and let me know if you have a personal best whenever you send me your videos. I also want to give a couple of updates about the group because there's so many... um, uh, new members. I just want to make sure you guys know how things are going. Uh, first of all, let me say that I am uh, sorry that I'm a little bit behind. I worked on videos Saturday and Sunday around um, lessons, and then I worked on a Monday morning, but then at 11 a.m., my Wi-Fi internet was just gone. Apparently, they were having issues with the um, tower in the area or something and I'm out in the you know like everybody else with horses out in the boonies so uh, I didn't get restored till like 10 o'clock last night and this morning I had my annual um, physical checkup with the doctor to get blood work and all that so after getting that done and getting back I'm just now getting started on the Q&A and then I'm going to work on videos until my lesson so bear with me I'm going to try to get caught up today and tomorrow Tuesday and Wednesday on videos. I have quite a few to do still. Um, if you don't hear back from me by Wednesday, I'll, I'll, I'll put in a post that if I, when I'm done on the videos, if somebody did not get one, I may not have got it while the cell tower was down. Uh, it's a possibility it got lost in the la la land but also for new members whenever you're sending me a video try not to send me a duplicate so if one of your friends tape it for you on their cell phone just have them um they can text it to my text my cell number they can email it to me they can send it to me in uh, facebook private messenger and any of those ways will work sometimes if you send it to me after they send it to you it comes out blurry just so you know, and anytime someone can videotape from you for you by first or second, the video is going to be easier for me to zoom in and really see your cues rather than, you know, from 100 feet away down by the alleyway or, or way up in the stands or something like that. So the closer to the uh, barrels, like first or second, the better. Um, I can see your cues much better and the video is usually better quality. So remember to do that when you're sending those to me for your slow motion video critiques. And, um, and it can be training and competition or exhibitions. If you're just hauling to exhibition, you're not entering yet. Anything is fine. So today's topic um, is going to be to know your horse. 
Um, good horses don't go bad and you cannot train pain. So there's about six things I want to cover on that. And I'll do that after I answer the Q&A from this week, the questions from this week. Um, first of all, congratulations to Ashley and Whiskey and Jewel for winning 4D money. You are the 4D queen at PacWest. And I'm really proud of you, Ashley. You work so hard and you have such a dedication to your horses and love for them and do everything in a holistic manner and you won over 1500 bucks this weekend and a, oh average award too so congratulations Jeannie and Guy D at PacWest also brought home 500 bucks in the 3d so congratulations to you um, Martine and Pistol had a personal best at PacWest these are all in Ocala, Florida so far. Um, Michaela and China and Palatka had a personal best fast time on the barrels. Um, let's see here. Barbara and Memphis did awesome at PacWest. Uh, just out of the money for the 2D with this really tough competition. I believe over 300 riders. Um, Mac and Suspicious ran 15 ones, 15 ones two times. Super consistent. Congratulations to you. Um, Nancy, uh, met some goals with her girl toot and Earl had clean runs and solid patterns too. So, um, uh, Danielle and solar had a personal best as well. They went in there and made three beautiful runs. I believe 14, three, five, and seven, something like that. I'll be getting to those videos today as well, but congratulations to everybody. Um, Kelly, Brandy, Christy, Nancy, uh, let's see, Danielle, Mac. Uh, there's quite a few that I still have videos to do. Uh, so I'm going to get to that right after I finish this Q&A. So um, the first question I have is how much is too much barrel racing? And um, to answer that question, it really depends on your goals and the individual horse. Um, for me, uh, like I said, I buy most of my mares at three and do basics at three teach them to pattern and haul for exhibitions at four and start competing at five. Most of mine never went more than twice a month and I'd average 30 to 40 runs a year on them. And that's including, you know, throwing in a few super shows, maybe three to four super shows in there. Um, and a few rodeos. Um, so I think you, you have to look at longevity. My girls would last me, you know, 10 to 15 years, depending on the individual horse and of, you know, of higher level competition before they started getting arthritic and slowing down a little bit. Um, and that was without, you know, steroid injections and all of that, but more oral, oral joint supplements and, and just keeping them, um, conditioned and healthy and, and all of that. So, um, the other thing you have to consider is too um, how much you want to do for treatments. You know, some people that are going up and down the rodeo or super show road and hauling many, many miles in the trailer, um, oral supplements may not be enough. They may have to go to intravenous joint medicine or intermuscular. Um, they may even, may even be going into the joint um, if the vet recommends that. Uh, you know, and that's going to be more upkeep on a horse like that. And also they could also have more breakdown earlier in life because of going harder and especially if you're going in with steroids and all that. So you just have to discuss that with your veterinarian and decide what's best, you know, natural versus RX. <clears throat> Sometimes when you go more, they become bleeders as well. So you've got to look into those uh, as well. Um, so I think as an individual need is another thing to consider. Some horses 
are hotter than others and can only handle one or two runs a month. Others can handle going, you know, twice a week or, you know, once a week and they're okay. Um, and they don't mind super shows once a month. You know, others might only be able to do a super show quarterly. So again, just know your horse. Um, also know what your long and short term goals are. If you want the horse to last, try not to run their wheels off. You know, if it, um, your plans are different, you know, like I said, everyone's going to have different goals. Um, the next question was, when do you stop training? Um, what I think a lot of people do is they want to build Rome in a day and Rome is built brick by brick. So, um, try to quit on a try. They don't have to be perfect, but build from that. So if you go out there with a practice and purpose in mind, like today, I'm going to pick up my right lead and Lopa quiet circle, you know, start with developing that trust with them and that work ethic and don't just start loping circles, but start preparing them for loping circles by, you know, getting their face left, right and down, being able to pick up their shoulder and do leg laterals or two tracking, be able to push the hip in and set them up for a lead departure at a walk and not take it and maybe do some uh, you know, leg laterals at a trot and, you know, things like that where you're setting them up for um, their body being broke loose and being able to feel them be able to take the lead just by setting it up, um, that kind of thing. And always quit on a note, on a positive note. So if they're trying, that's a good place to quit. Um, you want to always stop when a horse is calmer. If you're working them and all of a sudden they go get a little bit hot and you're ready to be done, you're going to need to slow things down and get them settled back down before you finish because you do want to end on a positive note and a horse that's calmer than you began. So that's what I would do for that. The next question says um, how to develop a horse that really likes their job. I feel like there's four ways to develop a horse that likes their job. One is the most important, and that's a solid foundation. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes a lot of uh, sweat, blood, and tears, you know, of, of wet saddle pads and just highs and lows. It's not always easy, sometimes frustrating, but spend the time on the foundation. Many, many people come to me and their horses are stiff as a board. And the first thing I start doing is try to get them to develop a light, supple, responsive, soft horse that knows how to give their nose left and right and down and can move their uh, move away from pressure for their, you know, off your leg for shoulders and ribs, and you can put their hip in or out, all of those things, um, you know, transitions off your seat, working off your body, pretending like you don't even have reins, loose rein riding that you can do transitions from a, a fast lope to a slow lope, a post trot to a sit jog, all of that from body and energy would be awesome. So really spend that time on that um, foundation. You don't want to take someone who's in elementary school and put them in high school any more than you want to take a horse that doesn't have a foundation and put them in a barrel race. <clears throat> Number two, I would um, I would not ask for speed on the pattern until they've mastered it at the current speed. So in the beginning, you're just trot walking the pattern. And when you finally get to where you're just loping the pattern and it's pretty and you decide, okay, I'm going to see where we are on the clock and you start entering and you're three seconds out. Well, maybe it's not the time to enter yet. Maybe you should just stick with exhibition longer. Um, and then when you're closer to two seconds out, that'd be the time to go. And then once they're consistent for maybe six months to a year, running the 4D or the 3D and they're showing that they have more potential to go faster than do that. Of course, that's going to be different with a futurity trainer. We're going to do all that before we ever enter them because we need them to come out 1D, 2D uh, before they're ever uh, paid to enter. But we will do timed runs and such 
exhibitions to find out where we are on the clock. Um, so that's always going to be different. But again, that's two years before they're ever entered, put into those horses. You know, it's not made overnight in six months. And that's where I think people get themselves into trouble. They, whoa, they go, oh, I bought me a three-year-old and I want a futurity of four. So let's shove everything we can down in a, their throat in a year. And, uh, you know, I'm going off the human calendar and not on the individual. So that's the um, next thing to consider um, is do not race them when they're not ready mentally or physically. If they're lame or sore, don't run them. You know, I've turned out at big shows with big entry fees when they warmed up and they didn't feel right. Um, or during the week if it didn't feel right and I couldn't get the vet or chiropractor to check them before my run. So uh, it's just not worth it. It's not worth hurting them or making them associate pain with competition. And then the fourth thing is to go back to basics between your runs. That's so important. And, you know, you can do those back to basics and slow work out on the trail or in the pasture. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the arena. But even these really seasoned open horses, they don't really need pattern or drill work, but they still need to be responsive and listening. So while you're out in the pasture, keeping them conditioned, you know, some people just pony their open horses, but I think it's good to get on their back at least once a week and make sure the brakes are working, make sure they're soft and supple, and just make sure, again, everything back to basics wise is working. Um, the next question is about um, why overthinking on the barrel pattern hurts us. Um, it's, you know, it's really, that's the biggest thing. If I, if I say I'm going to drop my hand, um, exactly one stride from the barrel when I sit down and say here I'm going to smooch and kick to this point um you know that and then all of a sudden my horse takes off like a rocket that might not work out or my horse is super lazy today that's not going to work out so that's why we don't want to overthink it too much and have it completely planned out in our head exactly where we're going to do a two-hand check or say whoa or bump them with inside leg or an outside leg you really do have to visualize a smooth run as far as you sitting up you sitting down riding to your spots position all of that but um you know your pockets all of those things are important but as far as timing, that's going to change. Position, not going to change, but timing absolutely is going to change. And so there might be, um, it's better just to be in the moment. It might be okay to, you know, have one or two things in your brain as you're going down the alleyway, like ride to my spots and, you know, whatever your thing you need for that horse might be like low hands or talk to my horse or use more leg, whatever. But don't say I'm going to do it exactly here because then you are thinking and you're mechanical and you get behind your horse instead of being in the moment with your horse and being assertive and being proactive instead of reactive. So um, a good way um, to work on that is in your slow work during the week. Slow work is how muscle memory becomes automatic when you go fast. So the next question is, how do I keep my hand forward? A reminder, I'm thinking about putting a ribbon in their mane. Sure, you could try that if that helps you keep your hand low and forward by seeing that ribbon, you know, up on that, you know, maybe put it up closer to the 
bridle path where, where you're looking between their ears and you know you'll have to look there, you'll see that bridle path and you'll see that red ribbon right up there by their headstall, you know, not, not on their ears or headstall, but right at the tip of their mane, maybe where the bridle path is and just put their hand low and forward just as a reminder, that would be a good idea. Um, but again, slow work, riding one-handed patterns like the D pattern, set up a really big D pattern and do that whole thing one-handed will help you as well because it'll make sure that you're riding more with your eyes and your body, your voice and your legs and less with your hands. So that would be good. Um, this one, this question is warm up off one side. Oh, okay. Um, this rider felt their horse was stiff on one side. They weren't rollbacking very well. They weren't circling as good on one side. So honestly, if that's, if I'm feeling that, that's when I'm going to go see if I can find a chiropractor. Um, I may turn out, but I'm not going to risk running my horse if they don't feel good. Um, and you know, I'm going to have the vet check them over. Um, sometimes you can sneak in there, but if you go out there and just say, okay, I'm not going to touch them. I'm just going to let them work. I'm going to sit, just talk to them. Whoa, here, smooch out and whatever. And then if they don't work good, then you know, you've got an issue, but I could always tell if my horses were off, like if they were loping, instead of going forward, it was more of an up down. I knew their hips were out. If I was trying to do my circles and they wouldn't let me pick up their shoulder, I knew their shoulders or neck were out. Um, so if there's little things that they're bracy or, or even if they're acting a little hyper, that can be indicative of lactic acid in the muscles and their muscles are tight, things like that. So, um, so you just really got to know your horse and don't run them. If you think they're sore, give them a vacation, give them rest. If you've been training hard and you've gone to several, give them a week off, let them have the chiropractor in a week off, you know, just, it's always a good idea, you know, or maybe just trail ride, whatever the vet or the chiropractor thinks would be best. Um, this one is about being very stiff and stalling in the turns and, um, catching barrels leaving this next question. So, um, on this horse, it's very important in competition. You're thinking smooth. You're looking at spots one, two, and three. Your hands are low and forward. You may have to drive more with your feet, smooch more with your voice, and completely look between their ears five feet around the entire barrel because this horse is going to lack that four-wheel drive and try to set back on you real hard. And you may have to sit up and use your horn to pull yourself up a little in the turns. Even if you lock down a little bit going in, you may have to sit back up to keep forward uh, motion around the barrel. But in training, I would do all lefts, all rights. Um, you could do it with three barrels or four barrels. Um, and I would trot and lope five to 10 foot circles and really work on flex and fluidity on that stiff, sticky horse. Um, let's see here. Uh, it is, and also about going to the horn, what's better two hands or one hand, um, between the barrels is the next question. And honestly, what's better than, uh, what's better two hands or one hand between the barrels. It's really going to depend on the horse. If you have an open horse, a rodeo horse, you might ride them one hand through the whole pattern and be just fine. But if your open horse anticipates a lot and they're going to cheat you going in, they're going to want to really turn. They may require you to sit up and stay two hands until you, um, get to spot one or maybe a stride before when you sit for rate, um, when the lake, when you're, 
uh, one stride from the barrel. But the key is, even if you do go to the horn on that kind of horse, don't drop your hand. Uh, keep your hand still in the position of the go position. Even if you get on the horn, you can still keep your hand forward. You can still sit up. You can still look between their ears on that horse that anticipates. Normally, your young horse, your Futurity Colt or your first year novice horse, they're better off with two hands between and one hand around because it just gives them more confidence to keep their lines straight and not drift to too small of or too big of a pocket. And, you know, because once you're on the clock, you, you, the less adjusting you have to do to the horse, the faster it's going to be. Anytime you've got to correct a horse, move a horse, check a horse, it's going to cost time on the clock. So the more you can just be quiet and smooth and precise, the better. Straight lines, round turn going from spot one to two, pivot out, it, at, you know, at your pivot spots. Um, that kind of thing is best. So let's see. Is that all my questions? I think so. All right. So let me see here. The topic is um, knowing your horse and you can't train pain and good horses behaving badly. So that's what we're going to talk about. The first thing we're going to talk about is a good horse doesn't just behave badly. So you've got to re figure out why. I recently had a client come for a lesson and when they were, I watch them tack up and they, they, I look at horses backs. I watch when they throw their pad on. Well, their saddle pad was wore completely through on one side. So I said, can I look at your saddle? And sure enough, there was a, a staple sticking out at the bottom of their saddle. Can you imagine if that staple would have poked through any more on that poor horse's back? That rider could have gotten really hurt when that horse started bucking, basically like getting a little knife stuck in their back. So, um, so you know, saddle issues, uh, pinching shoulders. Um, needing a chiropractor, the vet, maybe your farrier, you know, trimmed them short or got them with a hot nail. I mean, balance, all of those things that cause pain for a horse, um, dental even. Um, there's a lot of things that are, you know, ulcers, lungs bleeding, all of those things that can cause pain can make a horse act hyper, um, not work, not want to go in the alleyway. So you absolutely have to know your horse and know what's normal for them. Um, and realize what did I change or what maybe haven't I done in a while? Have I not, you know, had them checked by the vet? Have I not had the chiropractor done? Have they acted any different? Are they coughing after a run? Are they having a hard time recovering? Um, you know, any of that stuff. Did they slip or trip at the last barrel race? Were they overexposed by something? You know, was it scarier than a normal environment? Maybe it was a you know, a county fair or something. So think about all those things and think, why would my horse all of a sudden have a bad run? It was it me, was it something else? Okay, so the second thing, um, I noticed a trend now, everybody's got Beamer blankets. Uh, a lot of people are just doing MagnaWave services, but they're not trained in chiropractic or massage. Um, and that's all great. Those are all wonderful things, but that doesn't mean you cannot do the other stuff. I think those things are, are um, important to keep uh, to do in between the vet and the chiropractor and maybe the massage therapist. But I do think it helps to get someone who's certified and trained in those fields to take a look at your horse because just a MagnaWave isn't going to fix a chiropractic issue. Just a Beamer bl blanket's not going to fix that. Just a massage isn't going to, you know, and, um, 
the third thing I want to talk about is people miss things. I've had vets miss chiropractic issues. I've had chiropractors miss, miss tendon and ligament issues or joint issues. Um, and it's not there, you know, you ask five vets, you get five opinions. You ask five trainers, you might get five opinions. You ask five farriers, you might get five opinions. That's just how things are. But it's your job as their caretaker to really evaluate does that sound like my horse? Does that sound right? Or do I need a second opinion? Do I need to dig deeper? So don't, you know, don't just get where you're, what am I trying to say? You are very narrow-minded and you only believe your chiropractor or you only believe your vet. You know, don't be afraid to think outside the box and get a second set of eyes on your horse when things don't seem right to you. Okay, and then the fourth thing, and, and also you should know if it's working or not working um, by the results afterwards as well. Um, the fourth thing is coaches will miss things too. For instance, myself, um, some of you I only get to see you in lessons or a clinic. Some I only get to see in videos. So I may not get to see how you train during the week. Um, for most people, I don't. Um, even, you know, long-time clients, I don't know how you train exactly during the week. I don't know how you warm up exactly. Um you know, I don't know how you feel mentally on the inside unless you tell me. Um, also, sometimes the angles of the videos don't always show me, you know, exactly how many feet you are from the barrel for your arc or or where your, you know, hands or eyes were if I've got your back to me instead of your front to me. Um, you know, so all of those things, you know, all those things are little things that I, as a coach, am going to not know unless you start giving me feedback that, you know, I'm feeling this way before my run, my horse acts this way at home, but not at the barrel race, they act this way. Um, you know, in my run, this is happening. I feel like they're pushing in on me or maybe not backing off when I back off or, you know, those kind of things a, a coach will miss if you don't help them um, with all of those factors. The next thing to think about is num the number one thing I think is most important is know what's normal for your horse. Um, that's why I tell people lunge them so you can see how they move. The back feet should touch the front feet. If all of a sudden your horse is short striding, you might have a sore hind end, you know, something going on the back end. If they have a head bob, they may have a, a sore front end. You know, if they're keeping their head cocked one direction, um, you know, that could be a compensation thing, maybe a chiropractic thing. Um, so all of those things, knowing your horse is why it's so important to really, truly be successful. You can't without um, having that relationship with your partner. They are your team. They are your teammate. And my job is to be a team builder. Um, and my job is to help you um, put together all those pieces of the puzzle. And that's why it's so amazing when you hear the new winner, the winner is, or the new time to beat is, because it's not just that competition that made you happy that you won. It's all that sweat, blood, and tears that you put into the last year, two years, three years to get to that, the new time to beat or the winner is moment. And, um, and then that's why we do it. I mean, if, if we didn't like to compete, we would just trail ride or we would just brush our ponies in our backyard. But if you're out there competing, it's because you enjoy the adrenaline, the excitement, you know, you enjoy going fast, you enjoy winning, all of that stuff. So all of those factors play a huge part. Um, so all I want to say to you is, well, I know all of you are competitive. I also know you love your horses and you care about your horses. So don't be afraid to scratch 
if they feel like they're off and your gut's telling you something's wrong. I was at a barrel race with Briscoe once. It was actually uh, the Livestock Pavilion. It was a super show in Ocala, Florida. Another trainer was near me and she goes, oh, just give her Prevacox and run her. And I was like, first of all, Prevacox doesn't work on a horse if you just give it to them right then and run them. Butte could possibly help them. Um, Prevacox takes a week, you know, well, two or three days probably to get in their system. It's not like um, Butte that gets in their system and is in it within an hour and stays for 12 hours. Prevacox is something that builds up over a couple of days. So that's why vets usually have you start it um, a couple of days before and, and give it a day or two after as well. Um, but anyways, uh, the, they said just run her and I was like, nope. So I scratched her. And I was glad I did because once in my career, I didn't scratch when something fell off and my horse ended up straining a tendon and I've never forgiven myself for that. So it's just something that, um, you know, if, if your people are telling you, dad, they look fine, but your gut's telling you, no, no, something's not right. You know, your horse better than anyone else. Just don't run them. You know, people are trying to be positive and encouraging, not want to, you know, you know, rain on your parade or whatever, but you know your horse, so trust your gut and put them first. Um, horses will talk to us. We just have to listen. They talk to us all the time. Um, and if we don't listen to them talking to us, pretty soon they're going to start yelling at us. And when they yell at us, it's usually something ugly, like not going in the alleyway or not turning a barrel or diving into all the barrels, you know, things like that. And so finally, the last thing, and probably one of the most important things that people have to focus on after knowing their horse is their rider cues and mental game. You know, trust and confidence comes through a positive mindset and a positive mental game. But how do you get trust and confidence? We get that by developing your skill, by knowing where your spots are, knowing the timing and the feel your horse needs from you. So that is a huge factor. And that's why the more time you spend in the saddle, you know, just spending time with them three, four days a week during the week um, to get ready for that competition on the weekend, the better you're going to do because you and your horse are a team. So please just keep that in mind. And I just hope that um, I said some things today that might resonate with you and that you might, you know, add to your program or apply, you know, like journaling about things and realizing if you know what's working what's not working and really setting up that game plan so um and that's why this week's skill and mindset is about taking your last competition learning from it and then putting in a practice with purpose for your next competition and building off of it so if things went great then awesome, build off of that. If things didn't go so great, that's okay, build off of that. We're either winning or we're learning, we're never losing, and that's important to keep in mind. Um, I'm gonna close with saying that a bad run is still better than no run, okay? So keep things in perspective. In our group, we've had three or four members now, I think four, have lost very, very, very special horses, um, and I promise you, they'd rather have a bad run with that horse than not have that horse at all to run anymore. Um, so it's very important that we look at things perspective wise, you know, we all know what's going on in the world today and, and, um, and then we know what's going on in our world and, um, and everybody's dealing with something, maybe not on the big gratitude, um, scale that others are, but, but I know for me, um, I'm not saying this for a pity party or anything, but my, my, for my brother, my niece died at 16 from cancer 
my son just turned 25 on Sunday and, um, my niece would have been 26, um, this year in September. So she died at 16, 10 years ago. And it just is very, uh, heartbreaking. I remember I flew home when they knew she had cancer. Everybody wanted to get together and have fun and just have a whole family reunion. So we did, we did photographs with her. We went, uh, bowling. We barbecued. We watched movies. We were going to go watch Peter Pan, um, the musical, and on the way, she started having a seizure. Ambulance had to come and take her to the hospital. And the awesome part is the star of Peter Pan. Um, it was a woman. She went, I can't think of her name right now. I apologize. She's famous. And she went to the hospital and met my niece there um, after she heard once the Peter Pan show was over. It was really special. And all the firemen and paramedics were there. And it was very wonderful. But only, I think it was, we were there in January, and um, I think she passed away, oh, not even, like, just after that, the holidays, got to her 16th birthday, and and then passed away after that, so um, cancer is a horrible thing, and for my brother, for my family, to lose a child at 16 years old, that's something you don't really ever, you don't ever get over, you don't ever come back from it. Um, you learn to deal with it and you learn to trust in God, you know, and, and that was her favorite, um, scripture, you know, Proverbs, um, three, five through six, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not understand even the things you don't understand. And, um, that was her thing. She never, you know, she never hated, she believed, um, that she never, why me, you know, and, it's just, that's what I'm saying. So perspective is so important. Um, a bad run is nothing compared to a loss of a horse or a family or, you know, all of those things. So just be so grateful for all the good stuff in your life. And um, I guess that's what I want to leave us with today is there are some days that are just stressful, like going to the doctors, those the, the whole insurance thing. I mean, that stuff's silly. I mean, it's it's silly, right? And and on, on an annoyance level, but it's not a big loss, you know. So even when we're annoyed in our day to day stuff, we still have so much to be thankful for and grateful for. Our health, our family, our friends, our horses, our income, our you know, just so many blessings. Um, our homes, living in the United States. I mean, just so many. You could just go on and on. So. I guess what I'm saying is when you're out there loving on your horse, brushing them and stuff, just take it in and realize perspective at all times and um, just be happy and grateful. So I want to um, wish everybody um, a really good week. Keep me posted how you do this weekend. And I'm going to get caught up on videos right now. That's my next goal before my lesson. So God bless y'all and ride with heart.